This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Stu does America. Ah, the 2024 election is here. Almost. Uh, anyone but Biden 2024 is the stuff that you need to have to walk. I don't, I don't know if you can wear it officially to the voting lines. I'm not sure if that's allowed, but try it anyway. StuDoesMerch.com. Use the code Stu10 to save 10%. If you're watching on YouTube, like the video right now, subscribe to the channel, and hit the bell for notifications. Justin Haskins is here to celebrate the release of his and Glenn's new book. It's called Dark Future. We're going to talk to him about it. I've got some breaking news regarding the Supreme Court and corruption, which, of course, is a big story. Unless it's a liberal justice, then no one's going to care at all. But we'll get into that in a little bit. But we start by doing the LGBTQ identity. Yes, it's very, there's a tidal wave of LGBTQQIA2 plus stuff going on right now. And it's not Pride Month anymore. So I don't know. I mean, that, that was, first of all, it was in every store every time you walked in. Um, every rainbow colored everything. Now it is just, we're, we're learning that everyone is gay. Uh, every, apparently every single person on earth is gay. That's the new new narrative we're supposed to take in. Uh, or L or G or B or T. You're in one of those initials, okay? There's no longer any straight people, at least at our elite institutions. And I, I'm only slightly exaggerating here. A new study sh- uh, poll shows that nearly 40% of this is so ridiculous. 40% of students at Brown University identify as LGBTQQIA2+, doubling the share from 2010. Actually, the way the headline is written is uh, L- I, you, they identify as LGBTQ plus minus, I think, because it's actually a dash, but it looks like it's plus minus. How the hell will we know what's in this acronym? They add stuff every day, so who knows? Is it possible? Yes. Uh, the uh, student self-identification has doubled at Brown since 2010. This is going to lead to some interesting questions we all have to answer. This is according to Herald polling uh, data. Let me show you what the poll looks like. And it's very colorful. As you can see, all the colors of the rainbow. The uh, very boring heterosexual people in purple used to make up about 90% uh, of, uh, of people overall. Which honestly is low uh, from every historical measure, but it's brown, and so the number was at 10% of uh, non-straight people, I guess you'd say, uh, LGBTQQIA2 plus people. Uh, And that has fallen pretty much every year uh, with a massive drop-off between 2020 and 2022. And if you see the other colors, you'll see um, homosexual is how they label it in the chart is blue, which has remained roughly about the same size, uh, maybe a slight gain. Um, You also see other, uh, which was significant and then completely disappeared as we went into the last uh, three semesters. And that then like nine other flavors came in of the rainbow. Queer, pansexual, asexual, and questioning. All of those people apparently didn't exist before the spring of 2022, but have now all come in at the same 
time. Now, I would assume they were making up the other category, but you see the other category has certainly uh, grown quite a bit. The real growth there, I would say, is in the bisexual category, and we'll get into why, what that means exactly here in a second. What does that actually entail here? Um, the, check, the change of sexual orientation between the fall of 2010 and the spring of 2023, you wanna see how dramatic this has been. Uh, heterosexual down 25.2%. Homosexuals up 26%, a growth, but not that much. It's bisexual up 232% and other up 793% because that is what that born this way. They were all born this way. Everyone was born this way. And the people that happened to get into college in the spring of 2022 were all born 18 years earlier as LGBTQQIA2+, with the emphasis on the end of that acronym. Does anybody believe this is real? Does anyone believe this is real? It's so obviously not real. It's not true that 40% of people at Brown University are in the, in the community, as they say. What does it mean, though? Because it's obviously not... Uh, it, it wouldn't make any sense, right? It wouldn't make any sense that all of a sudden all of these people just started tur turning gay, right? The whole point is you're born this way. It's supposed to be completely natural and unchanging, right? But no, it's changing now all the time. We've updated all of our analysis. All the words we used to think meant one thing now mean another thing. And so we have to sit here and act as if this is some natural phenomenon, I guess, and not what it obviously is, a, partially at least, a social contagion. That doesn't mean that there's no one in these groups. Of course, there are people in these groups. But the idea that they would double and triple in a 10-year in a period is obviously bonkers. Uh, you know, I, I'm a conservative. Of course, you can't trust me on such issues. Uh, let's instead listen to Bill Maher discuss this. If we can't admit that in certain enclaves there is some level of trendiness to the idea of being anything other than straight, then this is not a serious science-based discussion. It's a blow being struck in the culture wars using children as cannon fodder. I don't understand parents who won't let their nine-year-old walk to the corner without a helmet, an EpiPen, and a GPS tracker. <laughs> and God forbid their lips touch dairy. But <laughs> but hormone blockers and genital surgery, fine. Talk about a nut allergy. <laughs> the point is, uh, and he goes on to talk about this, why in certain enclaves? Why why is Brown have such a higher percentage than some con, you know uh, college in Indiana or some college in Montana? Why would an elite uh, university have this situation? Why is it growing so much faster there than it is in another place? Why are kids of liberal parents so much more likely uh, to, to go this way? Well, you know, of course, uh, the, the effort at explanation at the beginning maybe made some sense. Okay, well, people are super restrictive on the stuff. No one wants to admit that they're this, and now society is opening up. And I'm sure that's true. It's certainly true for some people and has been over the years. But the scope of this is getting a little absurd for that to explain it. And of course, we all are now just asked to just believe things we know aren't true. 
you know, we're just supposed to believe that. We've talked a lot about the women's sports thing, and one of the one of the big uh, spokespeople out there talking about women's sports is Megan Rapinoe. Now, one of the things, uh, if you don't know who that is, congratulations. Uh, she's some soccer player, I guess. I don't even know if she's good or not. I've never watched a female soccer match in my entire life. Uh, but she was complaining about why women's, uh, the women's soccer team are not making as much as the men's soccer team. And, and then someone explained to her what economics are. Uh, but that's a whole different conversation. She also now on the big, she's become this LGBTQQIA2 plus hero and now must defend every position no matter how absurd. Uh, they asked her because of, you know, there's an idea that, hey, you're in sports. What if uh, some dude comes in and says it's a chick and then decides to take your job? How would you, how would you feel about that? Here's what uh, they said. Would Rapinoe embrace a transgender woman on the U.S. women's soccer team, even if that woman took the place of someone assigned female at birth? Guys, you don't get assigned female at birth. It's not just some like thing where like, well, you're going to write about uh, British history and you're going to write about a pinochle. You don't get uh, it doesn't get assigned to you. You are a thing. You're not assigned a thing. You are a thing. Your thing describes what thing you are. It's a difficult, difficult piece of math here, but. We'll embrace their wording here for just a second uh, from Time Magazine. Uh, would, you, uh, would you embrace someone uh, that took your job, even if it was someone uh, took the place of someone assigned female at birth? Absolutely, she says. You're talking, uh, you're taking a real woman's place. That's the part of the argument that's still extremely transphobic. I see trans women as real women. What you're saying automatically in the argument, you're sort of telling on yourself already, is that you don't believe these women, these people are women. Therefore, they're taking the other spot. I don't feel that way. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You know the difference. You don't see them the same way. If you saw them the same way, you wouldn't even use the term trans women. You wouldn't need to because they'd just be women. But they're not. We can all try to make these people who go through these, these uh, changes in their lives make them feel as wonderful as possible. But when you start denying what is actually going on, you're the problem they're not going through a, a, a difficult situation in their lives. You're going through a difficult situation in your life. You can't even admit the truth. And that's kind of a problem. And of course, this is all incredibly convenient for Megan Rapinoe, who's now absolutely embracing that dudes take over her sport the second she's about to retire. Congratulations uh, for that bravery. Look, one of the things that you'll hear from people like Megan Rapinoe and others when they talk about, oh, well, we don't care if, if, if men come into women's sports as trans women, what they will say a lot of times is like, you know, and you hear this from even people on the right, the, the people on the right who are saying like, you know, uh, this was a situation uh, with the government in Utah recently where they said, look, you're talking about very few people here and they're going through something very challenging in their lives. And the last thing we should do is make them into uh, uh, some sort of big culture war enemy. And I get that at some level, certainly in an individual level, it's difficult for some of these people to go through this, and what do you do? That doesn't affect government policy, and, and you should probably know better. But step back from that for a second, because you're right, it is pretty rare. People don't, uh, generally speaking, prioritize their sports performance into what gender they're presenting as. They're not going to start wearing dresses to go win, uh, you know, some sporting event. This is why, you know, like uh, the Johnny Knoxville movie, 
uh, came out, and and it, he, I think what was that one? It was uh, was it Special Olympics? He went to dominate the Special Olympics, I think, in that movie. But it's a reason why it was a comedy because no one would really do it, right? It's a kind of an absurd behavior. Most people who are going through this are not doing it just to win events, though. Don't put it past people in the future as this gets more and more acceptable. But the point always is like, well, this is a very small percentage of the population, but is it? Because the same people who tell me that, that it's just a small percentage of the population, it's just a few people, are also telling me 40% of Brown University are gay. So which one is it? Is it this exploding population that is soon going to be, I guess, everyone in a few months? Literally everyone will have something in the acronym? If we're going there, then your argument about it being only a few people doesn't really apply now, does it? And why would it need to apply? Think about this for a second. Let's just say that instead of 1% of female swimmers that were actually men saying they're women, instead of maybe it was 95%. Over time, it seems to be the direction we're going if you believe these polls. Let's say it's 95%. If only three women were actually competitive enough, competitive enough to get in the pool and come in and even qualify for their teams. If every woman in America could no longer participate in sports because men dominated men's sports and women's sports, what would you do? Never exercise? What would you do? Would you say, oh, this is obviously fair. Uh, these are all real women, would you? What would likely happen is that you would create another women's league and we'd be back in the same situation we're in now, where men are in one league and they do uh, sports a little bit better than most of the women do. That's kind of how this would work. And of course, no one goes to that extreme. It's unlikely that it's actually ever going to get there. I would say it will never get there, at least in reality. You know, in identifying as some form of the LGBTQQIA2 plus community is something in certain circles, which is very trendy. And, and a circle like Brown is a place where that absolutely applies. It applies in left-wing bastions because it's, it's a somewhat complicated thing. It's not necessarily, oh, well, people are having sexual relations or are attracted to the uh, same gender to prove some liberal point. That's not what it is. That's, I think, where people get stuck sometimes. No, that's not what it is at all. It's a different sort of attitude. It's sort of a, well, I'm open to anything. I would never rule. I would not just say I'm straight. I, I would never rule out anyone. I would t take the person based on who they are. You talk to liberals enough, they'll say stuff like that to you if you push them. They'll act as if, well, maybe I just haven't met the, same, the right person uh, of the same gender. Maybe that's just the way it is. You know, I, I remember back in the day uh, having a, a friend who was a very liberal friend. And uh, it was kind of a friend of a friend, didn't know them that well, but I do remember the story. And, you know, we'd go out, we'd all be in a group, and this person was very, very liberal, uh, always the one bringing up the liberal points. And one day, she just sort of announced to everyone uh, that she was a lesbian. Now, she had been dating men uh, her entire lives, as long as anyone knew her. But one day, just announced she was a lesbian, she was going to start dating women. And she uh, went on a few dates uh, with a woman. Uh, and then uh, that ended, and she said, you know what, it's, I, I'm not a lesbian, I'm actually a bisexual. Uh, I'm bisexual now. And everyone was like, oh, okay. Uh, I, guess, I mean, I guess she kind of did date a woman, and she dated a man. And you know what happened in the next, like, 20 years? Approximately zero women dated. 
she just went back to dating dudes. She just was the, she got married and she had uh, lived happily ever after, I guess. I don't know now, but it went on and on and on and on for years and years and years and years, just dating dudes. She was living the same life before and the same life after, but to her publicly now, she was a bisexual because for her, in her little friend group, that was the thing that helped her fit in. It was a, a message she wanted to send. She wanted to tell everyone, I'm not a hater. I'll do whatever. I, I'll, if I find the right person, maybe I will go that way. Who knows what's out in the rainbow of flavors? Well, in reality, what you have is a straight girl. Okay, a boring old straight girl. Not exciting, none of the crazy stuff, just a boring good old straight girl that didn't want to admit she was a straight girl. This is how this stuff goes. You know, back in the day, there were people who uh, you'd see these, th there was the joke, they'd be like, well, uh, uh, this person hooked up with this person. Well, they were experimenting in college. And then they'd go on with the rest of their lives and live uh, a very straight, boring life. And they didn't say they were, well, I, I did uh, hook up that one time at a bar with some other girl and now I'm, I'm bi. That's not the way that worked. It was just everyone kind of like, oh yeah, remember that crazy party? That was a little bit nuts. But, you know, of course, uh, Bill, my husband, is here today. The point is, you know, look, this is a, a, a social movement, right? And it's something that is making people act in ways that are uh, outside of, of, of the norm when it comes specifically, not even to behavior, but to language. And this is why it's hard to understand. What you see in this poll is not a, a massive increase in, in the LGBTQ community, although that's probably there at some level. What you're also seeing is an increase in words not meaning things. Back in the day, people understood what the L and the G and the B meant. And people applied them. And we could look over time to see, is there an increase? Is there a decrease? You can't tell that anymore because people are just defining those words completely differently. Tons and tons of straight people are just saying they're questioning. They're saying they're queer or they're saying they're bi and they're using those terms to describe a, a liberal open philosophy that they never really apply in any pragmatic way. That's a totally different thing. This is, look, people are still people. There are some percentage of people who are in the LGBTQ community. I doubt that percentage has changed much at all, frankly. I doubt it's changed much at all. I bet it's about the same. There are just people saying there's something else, but that is a real issue. If you're willing to change who you are, who you say you're attracted to, who, what your gender is, all of these things are foundational things about you that you know are true. And if you're willing to adjust those based on social pressures, those are the things we used to have after school specials about, right? Back in the day, it was like, don't fall victim to peer pressure. Now, only fall victim to peer pressure. We've reversed every equation, and we're trying to act as if society will operate as normal. It won't. We should be able to be, able to be honest about it. When people are in the LGBTQ community, we shouldn't be hateful toward them. We should be respect them, and they should be able to make any choice they, they want to make within the boundaries of the law and good taste, of course. But in addition to that, we should also be able to admit what is actually true and have some agreement of what words mean and what truth is. And because we've lost that, we've lost so much more. Still does America.
No matter what you have going on this summer, Box of Awesome has you covered from camping gear essentials to cookout must-haves. That's a big one. I had a couple of my boxes from Box of Awesome uh, have been cookout related, and uh, that's always a big hit because you get these, you know, you get great cooking utensils, little quirky products you didn't even know existed. That's what's great about Box of Awesome. You know, this isn't stuff you're just going to find at a store. Like, this is stuff that they dig for it. <laughs> they dig. They find the coolest different products that you wouldn't even know existed. And uh, you just go to uh, boxedofawesome.com and you just take a little quiz there. There you can kind of get an outline of the different kind of boxes they have, which one would probably be best for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. Uh, and each box is valued at like 70 bucks, but you pay only a fraction of that price and it's a fantastic gift. If you have someone in your life where you're like, I don't know what the heck to get that person, get them a box of awesome. They're gonna love the stuff that's in there. And uh, you can get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com right now. Enter the code stew at checkout. You'll get that deal. Boxofawesome.com. The code is stew for 20% off. So it introduced me to all sorts of stuff that I didn't even know existed. I love, I love getting my box of awesome each month. Boxofawesome.com. Code is stew. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. I want to bring in Justin Haskins. Uh, he is the Socialism Research Center Director for the Heartland Institute and also co-author of the brand new book. Dark Future, Uncovering the Great Recess, Terrifying Next Phase, which he wrote with our own Glenn Beck. It's available right now. Uh, and uh, make sure to go grab a couple of copies, share it with everyone you know. Uh, it's a lot of really important information, and it's a big day. It's book day, Justin. Congratulations, man. I know. Thank you. You know, book making a book is is like making a child, except it takes much longer. <laughs> I would assume Not it's enjoyable. less fun. Yeah, I would assume, yeah. I, I would assume it's much less fun. And this fun. was a lot more depressing, yeah. too, in a lot of ways, this, this process. But um, no, it's a, it's a huge day. It's so, much, it, it's so much fun to do this and also just to you know, see um, people's reactions to something you've been working on for, you know, like I said, it's a year and a half's worth of work, but yeah. nobody sees it essentially, except for one other person you're working with, a couple of editors or something like that. It's such a weird process. It's so weird. It's so weird. And then it comes out and you can't change it. Right. So it's like, it's really hard, it. especially people who've grown up in the digital yeah. era, right? Like, right. you know, even if you're on talk, you're doing talk radio, like you get to uh, you know, update your thoughts the next day with the new information. Yeah. A book is a thing, it's done, it's in print, it's there forever, unless Amazon decides to pull it, which of course, <laughs> maybe they will someday. Exactly. exactly. Who knows? Yeah, no, it, 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 it totally is. And, and unlike with an op-ed, you know, you could write another op-ed or you could clarify your opinions yeah. or something. It's like, this is a done deal. But that's why you spend so much time on it. And yeah. we spent... Oh my gosh, there's 1,200 citations in this book. It is literally a book and a half compared to the last two books that Glenn and I worked together. Um, the entire Great Reset book is crammed into the first chapter of this book. 
and everything that comes after it builds on that. So yeah, so this tons of research. Is interesting. In this. Obviously, it would be great if people went back and bought the Great Reset and, and read it. But the way the book is designed is you can kind of take that first chapter and get at least a, gr- a good enough outline that you can keep going. Is that yeah, the right? Yeah, exactly right. I mean, you're not going to know as much as if you went back and read the first book in the series, but. If you didn't and you don't have the time to do it and you just have to pick one, you'll be able to get the entire picture from just this one book. It's all in the first chapter and then everything after that is completely new stuff. And there's a lot of new stuff in the updated stuff in the first chapter as well, mm-hmm. but it all builds off of what's in that first chapter. Let's start with the idea of, of a series because you go into a book, you don't know if it's going to be successful, but no. really from the beginning, this was thought of as a multi-book series. The Great Reset being uh, number one. So if someone wants to jump into this, uh, give us give them a little bit of an outline of where you know the basic info that you need to know to get to speed to to start this book here. Right. So I think the 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 biggest takeaway from the Great Reset generally is that you have global elites working together with corporations, big financial institutions, central banks, government officials, and they are all walking hand in hand in public-private partnerships to reshape the world. And they're doing it through the financial system, through social credit scores, especially ESG, environmental, social, and governance scores in particular, Um, and that they're using really the financial institutions predominantly, but insurance companies and other things as well, to shape how corporations are behaving and small businesses and individuals as well. But through the corporations, you change all of society. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's hard to imagine how this works. I mean, we're seeing this with Bud Light. We're seeing this with Disney. We're seeing all these big, gigantic corporations that used to have certain values or no values at all, you know, right. just suddenly become the, the wokest companies on the, in the universe. And you say to yourself, why is a, a beer company that predominantly sells its products to men that like half-naked women, mm-hmm. you know, suddenly have as their spokespeople men that are dressed up like women? It doesn't make any sense. It's, yeah, there's not a lot of, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be a, a thing you'd propose in the board <laughs> no. to keep your and job. And yet they did. Yeah. And so the question is why? And that is how the Great Reset all fits together. It's the, it's because there are elites that want this transformation and they're using not consumer demand, but their own desires mixed with financial, uh, the financial institution, all the money that's been pumped into it by central banks to reshape the world. And it's interesting. I think one of the reasons why the Great Reset really um, connected with people was we all sort of saw all this stuff come down. Uh, you explained it. Glenn explained it. A few other, only a few other people really were on it. And now it's kind of more wide knowledge. You hear a lot of the presidential candidates talking about things like ESG scores that would never been, in the 2016, 2020 elections were never even mentioned. No. Um, and one of the things that I think connected with so many people is that this whole thing is laid out for you and you realize how much of it is already going on, how far ahead, essentially, the left is in going after this stuff. We're, we're constantly trying to catch up and, and, and stop them from doing the thing they've already started. So the Great Reset we know is already on the way. We're in the middle of trying to do things to stop that. But we have to realize that that's not the end of this. This doesn't end with the Great Reset. On the heels of the Great Reset is something called the Great Narrative. What's the Great Narrative? Right. So the Great Narrative is another uh, campaign similar to the Great Reset campaign that has been proposed by many of the same people. Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum. That's Davos, Mm -hmm. the Davos people. They have also proposed this Great Narrative. And essentially the idea behind the Great Narrative is we need a new story, a new narrative, a new way of 
uh, thinking about the world to prepare the world for this transformation that is coming. The assumption is the transformation is coming. And so we need a way to make this appealing and mm. for us to understand it as human beings in this evolving story that's going on here. Um, and so what is that great narrative? It is, if you take the, uh, the, the core of the Great Reset, namely social credit scores, ESG, all of these tools and mechanisms for reshaping society, mm -hmm. and you couple that with emerging technologies that are already going to have a massive disruptive uh, force, be a, a disruptive force in our economies and societies, so like artificial intelligence, for example, and quantum computing is another example of that, cryptocurrencies, these things that are changing life mm -hmm. just because they're being invented. You tie those two things together, you have the ability to change everything overnight. So, uh, or in a very short period of time. So one of the examples that I like to use that I think everyone can kind of relate to is if the left had a time machine, which is a scary thought, I know, and they could go back into time to say 1994 and rewrite the rules of the internet Right? Mm -hmm. Would they rewrite the rules of the internet? I think we can agree. Of course they would, right? Sure, yeah. And then what would those rules look like and why would they write them the way that they would and how would that work exactly? Uh, I think we, on the right, I don't think you have to convince anybody that that would definitely happen. They've been trying to stuff the, de the genie back into the bottle ever since it got out, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard because people are used to freedom on the internet. Mm -hmm. So now you're trying to do the opposite. It's too late for them, and they know that. So what they want to do is not repeat that mistake again. They want to, in the next wave of... Uh, the fourth industrial revolution with all these new technologies, they want them right from the very beginning to be doing the things that they wish they could go back in time and design the internet to do. Yeah. That's exactly what's happening here. So you get, you get all kinds of crazy ESG embedded right from the very start in all of these emerging technologies like central bank digital currencies and like artificial intelligence and all of that. Yeah, and these tools can do a lot of work here. This is, you, you brought up an incredible example uh, this morning when you were on the radio show with, uh, with Glenn, talking about uh, what, what discrimination used to be. Um, can, you, can you walk people through this? I thought I'd never heard this talked about like this. And in a way, it's worse than what we used to think of as discrimination, <laughs> yeah. which you think couldn't possibly happen, but we might be there. Yeah, so many horrible things that have happened in the past, including widespread discrimination and to varying degrees racism and other things, have come from the people in power trying to figure out a shorthand way to blame a problem on a particular group of people who think a certain way or act a certain way or do something that they don't like. Exactly. Right? And so when the Nazis decided to discriminate against the Jews, it wasn't literally every single Jewish person, including little children, that were really the problem. Mm -hmm. But there was something, there was a problem there for them, and so they decided, you know what, let's just blame it on all the Jews. It's just easier that way to just point to that group and do that, was, right? Like, if there was a, a Jewish person who might have agreed with some of their policies, yeah. it was they didn't take the time to navigate those waters. They just said, we'll blame all the Jews for everything. Obviously a horrible, horrible idea and a horrible, horrible policy, right. but one that seems to 
maybe be being updated. Yeah, exactly. And so in, in the new world that's emerging, and, this, and that would be true not just of discrimination, but just any kind of widespread government crackdowns or attacks on liberty or whatever, mm-hmm. it's often because they can't figure out who the real troublemakers are. So they, so they blame everybody. They blame right. large groups yeah. of people, right? Well, now they don't have to do that anymore because we have the technology to actually know almost everything about almost anyone. And so you don't have to discriminate against widespread groups of people. You can pick individuals out and say, you are the problem. You, the individual person who said this terrible thing on social media, who is clearly a Trump supporter, you know, they can now determine the difference between a person who really likes Donald Trump, a person who was just willing to vote for Donald Trump and a person who didn't like Trump and didn't vote for them. They they used to just discriminate against everybody. Now they can pick it out. And they, and when you have that ability, using technology to differentiate between people, to target individual people, and you can tie that to a score that makes it really easy to punish or reward people, which is what ESG is, and then you have the technology to sift through that and to do it on a wide scale, then you can make you can you can discriminate in a way that was never possible before and it can be based mostly not on external characteristics but on your thoughts on your ideas on your beliefs on the core of what it means to be a person yeah, what's stunning about it too is the is the scope right i mean the efficiency level of this technology and how widespread it is in all of our lives you get a situation where they can do this to an entire civilization and then make decisions, you know, this, this, the central bank digital currency is a great example of this. If that's programmable, if it's something that they can do and say, hey, you know what? Um, no, of course, you, 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 you people don't get to buy guns. You people don't get to buy ammunition. You people don't get to uh, go on the train. I mean, we're seeing this legitimately happen right off the bat through government policy in places like China with social credit scores. And that is going to roll into this next version of uh, artificial intelligence. And and what does that world look like when it does? Yeah, exactly. I mean, so much of this book is about how the next wave of authoritarianism is not going to be anywhere near as bloody as the last wave of authoritarianism. But that's not because they're nicer people. Right. <laughs> it's because they're, they, they don't have to be that. There are actual downsides to being a bloodthirsty authoritarian that's just killing people everywhere. It causes a lot of problems. It's it not easy to kill that many people. And then when you do, you're demonized. It's really sure. easy to demonize someone like that, right? But when you can control people without throwing them in prison by just simply silencing them uh, from social media, silencing them from the public square, cutting them off from getting access to banking services, when you can control what they can spend money on and what they can't spend money on, uh, when you have artificial intelligence rigging the algorithm right from the very start to decide who the winners and losers are in society, you don't need these kinds of giant crackdowns, jackboot stormtroopers, you just need the right system in place. And they've, once they figured out that controlling the money, having social credit scores, and controlling technology, those three things together, give you everything they ever wanted without having to kill anybody, that's when all of this really ran loose. And as you pointed out earlier, I don't think people realized what was going on. They saw the world changing 
and now we are understanding why that's cha- why that change is happening. But this book is primarily about how that's going to happen in the f- in the very near future, and how it's going to get a whole lot worse than what we've seen so far. It's amazing, and we're just scratching the surface on the book. Uh, it's out today. Make sure to go get it. Uh, I want to talk to Justin a little bit later on this week as well. Go uh, deeper into the book. There's so much that we haven't even you know didn't even begin to talk about. But Justin, thanks so much. I know you worked really hard on this. Congratulations on the big uh, release. Uh, the book is called Dark Future, Uncovering the Great Reset's Terrifying Next Phase. It's co-authored with our own Glenn Beck. Be sure to grab a copy or two today. Justin, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks. Well, as you see, uh, the economy kind of spiral out of control. There's all sorts of threats from countries like China and India beginning to transition to a digital currency. Maybe the reserve currency that we've been talking about all this time has been an advantage America's had all this time. Is that going away? People are talking about that now. There's lots of risks in the economy, and you need to protect yourselves. Uh, you have to do something. You can't just sit back and hope everything's going to go right. You need to protect yourself and prepare. Birch Gold Group can help you do that. Uh, they want to have, uh, they, I mean, I, don't, I think it's important to have some physical assets. It's important to diversify your portfolio. It's important uh, to understand and do your own homework and make sure you understand all of this as you go through it. Um, but learn if gold is right for you. Is it the right thing for you? Text Stu to the number 989898 and they will send you a free info kit on gold. They have a uh, Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, countless five-star reviews, and they've been helping listeners uh, from the very beginning uh, talking about gold and trying to understand it and bettering themselves going forward. Text STU to the number 989898. Claim your free info kit on gold. Uh, because if a central bank digital currency becomes reality, it'll be nice to have some gold to depend on, won't it? It's Birch Gold. Check it out now. You know, there's one thing that the left cares about uh, intensely, no matter what. It's ethics. Uh, As we know, with the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden stuff, they just care so much about ethics, and especially ethics when it comes to the Supreme Court of the United States. These, they, were, they are watchdogs. And you've seen all this reporting, uh, really, really important, about how Clarence Thomas had a friend once or something. Uh, you're not allowed to have friends if you're on the Supreme Court. We all know that. Uh, that's uh, it's totally wrong. Uh, one time, Clarence Thomas took a vacation. And that obviously makes everybody horrible. But uh, the Senate Democrats announcing a vote to advance the Supreme Court ethics bill that is going on right now. A key committee will vote uh, on the Supreme Court ethics bill. Um, And uh, it's pretty, pretty uh, typical stuff that really has no chance in uh, in going anywhere, I don't think. Though, I mean, look, no one cares. I don't think uh, anyone cares if there was actually an ethics uh, standard that everyone met. Has nothing to do with all the BS reporting that's come before it, uh, however. Um, however, Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor um, has had their staff, um, they prodded colleges and libraries to buy her books. So when the, when the controversy happens on the left side, do they care? Is there going to be any uh, big, uh, big, big uh, pro-publica expose about Sotomayor? Apparently, uh, colleges and libraries uh, wanted a uh, big guest lecturer. Well, Sonia Sotomayor would be there if you bought enough books. Just got to make sure you buy enough of her books, then she'll be there. Um, She's earned $3.7 million since she joined the court in 2009. And we should point out, too, she's an idiot. Uh, That's... uh, It's a larger, you know, generally speaking, a larger story, not just about the books, but she's a moron. Um, And, uh, you know, really an embarrassment uh, on the court. And she's been on the court now for 14 years. Is that right? 
Now, all the brilliance we were supposed to get out of Barack Obama, and this is the dolt he picked for the Supreme Court. It's, it's really comical when you stop and think about it. Um, and we have some other great journalism going on from foreignpolicy.com. Aviators make Biden an all-American badass. This is an actual news story. The sunglasses are a symbol of loyalty, persistence, and the U.S. president. Uh, This is from Virginia Postrel, who is apparently serious writing this article, a visiting fellow at Chapman University's Smith Institute for Political Economy and Philosophy, which should probably just close its doors after this. Like, if you came up with this as your big, uh, hey, I got a go-to article, what we're going to do is say... um, what we're going to do is say, um, I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, Joe Biden, you know how he's an idiot. You know how, he, you know, we're in foreign policy. He was the guy who has uh, completely botched the Afghanistan withdrawal. That guy. Let's talk about how great his sunglasses are. If that's you, it's just time to quit, right? Like, it's just, why, why would you go on writing after that? Just uh, go find something else to do. Maybe there's something else. I don't know what you could do. That's your piece of analysis on something like this. I don't know what you'd qualify for, but I, I wish you the best in all of your future endeavors. Ah, we all have things that we care about, and then one day they might be gone. And what about like something like antibiotics? What if the medical supply chain just kind of broke down? We saw this happen with so many different things. I waited 14 months for a car, 14 months. What if instead it was 14 weeks for your medication? That would be a much bigger deal even uh, than you know me and I complained about it all the time. Um, if you might need antibiotics to, for the basics, you know, curing uh, some bacterial illness, some basic thing, you know, now we're, we take this for granted, right? Like you get a little sick, you take some antibiotics, it goes away. That's the way this is supposed to work, right? Well, uh, not if the supply chains go down. Jace Case from Jace Medical is a great way to keep yourself prepared for the worst. It's a pack of five different courses of antibiotics that you can use to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, you know, respiratory infections, sinusitis, skin infections, a whole lot more. You can be ready for shortages. It's perfect for traveling. Don't get caught unprepared. Go to jacemedical.com. Enter the code STU at checkout. J-A-S-E medical.com. The code is STU. They have a lot of great stuff to check out at the site. Make sure you do. Jace Case from Jace Medical at jacemedical.com. The code is STU. Lots of parts of the world are exacerbating the problem right now. But when you have bombs going off and you have damage to septic tanks or to power centers, et cetera, you have an enormous release of, uh, of greenhouse gas, of methane, of, you know, all of the family of greenhouse gases. And the result is it's adding uh, to the problem. I'm not, uh, you know, believe me. No, that's uh, the fight in Ukraine is a fight that we have to make, that the world has to make. The values at stake are enormously important to all of us. So I'm not suggesting by any fashion that that you, this is not a fight we shouldn't be involved in. But I am saying that there are ancillary <laughs> impacts as a result of it. Uh, I love how they just, oops, uh, got a little bit down that road and didn't know where to go on that particular one. Um, uh, so John Kerry saying, oh, well, yeah, the war in Ukraine is causing a lot of climate change. Here's a guy who's like made his career on being Mr. Anti-War. A guy who went in front of Congress and, and, and complained about the Vietnam War and all the food stocks. 
uh, that had that had uh, <laughs> lots of problems. People, uh, remember the whole speech? People uh, tortured, put electricity on genitalia, and turned on the power. Remember that whole testimony back in the day? Uh, yeah. Now he's so pro-war that he can't even admit that the war is a problem, even if it also hurts the global warming thing, which is his new shtick. So I guess that's how this works. By the way, um, yeah, another catastrophe and other global warming uh, news it got really hot uh, over the past, uh, I don't know, a few weeks. And people had the July 4th weekend to sit out. They had a big picnic or fireworks, or whatever. And what better way to cool off than with an ice cold Bud Light? Uh, of course, that didn't really happen. 28.5% was the drop. I don't think this is turning around, boys and girls. I think this is over. I, I mean, I just... Uh, I was out with friends this weekend and that, you know, someone went for a Bud Light and everyone just mocked him and it became a joke immediately. It just like it, I don't know how. Now, look, I mean, I, I have con largely conservative friends. Maybe that's not happening everywhere. But like liberals, did, did they really drink Bud Light in the first place? I don't know. I mean, it just, just seems like they have gone so far down this road. There's no way to turn it around. This is the time you just need to reboot. Come back as spirit air or something. You know, <laughs> you need to just totally rework the company and then maybe you'll have a chance. On Friday, Blaze Media is teaming up with a family leader to host the first presidential forum of the 2024 primaries. Uh, it's uh, going to be great. Uh, Tucker Carlson's going to be there. He's doing a bunch of the interviews. Uh, this is his first public event since the, his departure from Fox News. Glenn Beck will be there as well, joining Tucker on stage for an exclusive interview. That's just for Blaze TV subscribers, so you want to make sure you check that out. Subscribe to Blaze TV today by heading over to blazemediasummit.com. Use the code SUMMIT for 30 bucks off. I will be there. Sarah Gonzalez is going to be there. I think Steve Dace is going to be there. It's going to be a great group. Don't miss out. BlazeMediaSummit.com. Code is SUMMIT. Join us to get 30 bucks off. See you tomorrow.